Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode. We are in the book of Revelation, and we are transitioning between chapters 4 and 5 and the worship service there, the ceremonial aspect of that, the beauty of the majesty of all that that we've discussed in the last several episodes, and we are about to transition into chapter 6, which is a new subdivision of the things to come, I like to call it. It's a subsection of that part of the outline that Jesus gave in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. So I'd like for this to be somewhat of a recap. We started discussing these things yesterday, but for the sake of time, I set this aside for today's topic. So I'd like for us to continue in that today. And in the last episode, we focused somewhat on Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, where Jesus of the tribe of Judah, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah, is the fulfillment of the prophetic word from Jacob in Genesis 49, verse 8 through 12, to the tribe of Judah. And he was prophetically speaking about the Messiah, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus the One. And so we saw how he is called Shiloh or Shiloh in that passage. And the passage read that the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver from under his feet, until Shiloh or Shiloh comes and to him will be the obedience of all the nations. Shiloh or Shiloh is the one to whom it belongs. That's what the word means. And it is a he. It's talking about Jesus. And it's interesting because in that verse, it says the scepter will not depart from Judah. In other words, the kingly line comes from the tribe of Judah and will remain with Judah until Shiloh, the one to whom the kingdom belongs, comes. The kingdom is Jesus's to claim. It belongs to him. The kingdom belongs to him and all that that entails, which entails and includes all of the obedience of all the nations, which is what Genesis spoke of as well. So we know that the scepter representing the kingdom and his kingship. He is Messiah king. He is priest king forever. After the order of Melchizedek, he is the king, the son of David, the rightful heir to David's throne. He and he alone holds the kingdom. It belongs to him. The scepter will remain with him. Also, the prophetic word says the lawgiver. This actually is speaking of the scribe or inscribing something, an engraver, one who will enact law, one who will prescribe, prescribe law, prescribe policies, prescribe administration and decree, make edicts, decree things that then become authoritative, then become things that will be obeyed. I want to look at a few scriptures in reference to these points. The first place I'd like for us to look at is Isaiah chapter 33, 
verse 22. And it says this, For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. The Lord is our lawgiver. So the Lord is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lawgiver. The Lord is Shiloh, the one to whom it belongs, the lawgiver. Next, I want to read a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 18. In chapter 18, I want to begin reading in verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. So here we see the prophetic word about Jesus, the prophet, that is the lawgiver, that has the words that people are to listen to and obey and receive. He is the one to be heard. He is the lawgiver. Moses prophetically speaks of that here in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Next, I want to look at Psalm 2 and begin reading in verse 6. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion, or Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. So in Psalm 2, we see more about this king who is the one to whom it belongs the one who will inherit the entirety of the nations, the whole of the earth. I want to read Psalm 72. In Psalm 72, I want to begin the reading in verse 1. In Psalm 72, let's begin reading in verse 1. Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The mountains will bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. He will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy and will break in pieces the oppressor. They shall fear you as long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations. He shall come down like rain upon the grass before mowing, like showers that water the earth. In his days the righteous shall flourish an abundance of peace until the moon is no more. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish 
and of the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. So this is giving us more information about what Jesus is possessing and what belongs to him and what his inheritance is. Then in Isaiah 42, verse 1 and verse 4, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. Verse 4, He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands shall wait for his law. So here we see Jesus is the rightful owner. He is the rightful possessor. He is the one to inherit all nations. He is Shiloh or Shiloh, the one to whom it belongs. It's his estate. He is the one to whom it belongs because he is to inherit all. He's the only one that can take and execute the scroll. And that's where we're beginning to move into chapter 6 because chapter 6 is where he begins to open the scroll and loose its seals. Remember, we saw the scroll, we studied about it. We looked at Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, Zechariah chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, Isaiah chapter 29, verse 1 through 16, and Jeremiah 32, verses 9 through 15 and 44. We understood from all of those verses more about what this scroll is. We saw that it will contain, and, and as it is opened, we will see the proof of this, that these prophetic words speak about the scroll and how it will contain woes, lamentations, curses, etc. Remember also, it is a legal and written document. It is a deed, an ownership title, bought and paid for. I want to point out something on this point just for a moment, because I mentioned it in an earlier episode, but I want to bring this back. There is in the Old Testament, the Redeemer, and Redeemer and Redemption speaks of buying something back. The Goel was the kinsman redeemer. We see the beautiful story of that in the book of Ruth because Boaz was a type of Christ in that Boaz was the kinsman redeemer. There was a Leverite law that required a near kinsman. They had the authority and the responsibility to redeem someone and their land and their possessions that had suffered harm, had been sold into slavery or, or lost their possessions in some way. And it was the obligation, the responsibility, and the privilege of the kinsman redeemer to do that. And I do have a message on the Goel 
It's part of my passion messages. It's part of the Holy Week series that I did either this year or, or last year. I can't remember exactly which year it was, but it is in the archives and it's called Goel the Redeemer. The, it's talking about redemption, the beauty of redemption. And what would happen is a Jewish man in some way lost his possession and it needed to be redeemed. And so there had to be one of the same kin. In other words, it had to be a relative of his. It had to be someone of near kinsmanship. Jesus fulfills that role because he became a man. He was born of the flesh, died on the cross as a man, rose from the grave when God raised him, an eternal being, praise be to God, overcoming death, hell, and the grave. And he is now seated at the right hand of God, but he is our kinsman redeemer. He became a human being like you and I. He became a man so that he could be the kinsman redeemer. He was our near kinsman. This kinsman redeemer had to have the means. In other words, he had to have the resources. He had to be able to pay the redemption money. He had to be able to afford it. He had to have enough possession in and of himself to be able to redeem someone else and their property. He also had to be willing to do it. And so Jesus had both. His blood was what redeemed us. Peter tells us in his epistle that we are not redeemed by corruptible things, silver and gold and so forth. We are redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. His blood is enough, and he was willing. He willingly humbled himself and became obedient, even to the death on the cross, is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer, and in redeeming us, he redeemed the property of the earth as well, which had been originally given as a steward to mankind with certain dominion granted to him according to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And that needed to be redeemed as well. And so Jesus bought and paid for the redemption of our lives and our souls, but he also bought and paid for the title deed to the earth again, the redemption of the earth itself again, the earth that he created through his death and his obedience. He accomplished this. It is his right, his inheritance, and his possession to do so. He is to inherit all nations. In Psalm chapter 82, Asaph writes these words, and he says in verse 8, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. Asaph delivers a prophetic word about the time that we are just about to study in the book of Revelation, the time when God arises, the time when the Lord Jesus Christ opens the scroll, looses its seals, and begins to judge the earth 
toward the fact that he is and coming to inherit all nations and it's his rightful due. He is Shiloh, the one to whom it belongs. He is the only one worthy to open this scroll and loose its seals because it is his inheritance to do so. As it's his estate, his inheritance is beginning to be shown to us and unveiled for us in the remaining portions of the book of Revelation. There's a process to him possessing his inheritance. There's a process, and that process we will see play out beginning with the seals all the way through his second coming and his kingdom reign. One of the things involved in that, which is a large part of what we will be looking at in the next several chapters, is that in this process to possession, we have a clue about this given to us from an Old Testament pattern. And in this process, he will dispossess the earth of the unlawful occupants, of those to whom it does not belong. We might call them squatters. He will do this through conquering and battles and conquest. And I believe this is represented by Revelation chapter 6 through 18 and into chapter 19. He will dispossess his inheritance, his estate of unlawful occupants through his conquest and through his judgments. He will also possess and found his righteous rule. He will establish his right rule and possess his inheritance. And we see that in Revelation 19 and 20 all the way through the new heaven, the new earth, the eternal dominion. The example from scripture that gives us some indication and some clarity on this process to possession comes from the book of Joshua and the conquest of the promised land. In taking possession of their rightful inheritance that had been given to them, by God in the promise that was made in Genesis chapter 15 to Abraham, the covenant promise of their land to inherit. Joshua had to follow Moses and lead the children of Israel into their inheritance, into their promised possession. And in doing that, it required battles and conquest to defeat the enemies of the Lord and to cleanse the land. And then he was able to establish rightful ownership and justice, allowing the children of Israel to inherit their portions and to dwell in their land. And we see this clearly throughout the book of Joshua. It provides a little bit of a pattern that helps us understand more about what's happening beginning in Revelation chapter 6 all the way through chapters 19 and 20.
The Old Testament also refers to the day of the Lord, it's called. It's also named in different ways, the day of the Lord's vengeance, the day of the Lord's wrath, the great and terrible day of the Lord. There are different names for this, but it is found all through the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. We see writers like Peter speaking of this. And this, in context, can cover the entirety of what we refer to as the tribulation all the way through to the eternal state, or it may refer to portions in between, but it includes all of that. So in essence, it refers to Revelation chapter 4 through 22, the whole of everything that is to come, but primarily perhaps the subsection beginning in chapter 6, the tribulation through the eternal state, the day of the Lord. And it is prophetically spoken by nearly every single prophet in the Old Testament and some in the New Testament as well. The day of the Lord is ahead. I want to read Isaiah chapter 61, verse 2. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. In Isaiah chapter 61, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion or Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. In this passage, this is speaking prophetically of Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah. And Jesus reads this passage in Luke chapter 4. But you will notice something. He stops mid-verse in verse 2. He closes the book. He gives it back to the attendant. He sits in the seat, Moses' seat, and he begins to teach the people as they wait for his word. And he tells them, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He stopped mid-verse, verse 2. He stopped with proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book right there. He did not read the rest of the verse. There's a reason for that. The reason is because all that he spoke up to this point through the acceptable year of the Lord is fulfilled in his first coming. However, the day of vengeance of our God is what is yet to come, and that's why he did not read that. That was not fulfilled in his first coming. That is now revealed to us in Revelation, beginning with chapter 6 and forward. That is what is still ahead, but it is coming. God will have his day of vengeance, and it will be the day of the Lord's vengeance. 
I want to begin to close. I want us to look at Deuteronomy chapter 32. And I want to begin the reading in verse 35 of Deuteronomy chapter 32. Vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things to come hasten upon them. For the Lord will judge his people and have compassion on his servants. When he sees that their power is gone and there is no one remaining bond or free, he will say, where are their gods? The rock in which they sought refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering. Let them rise and help you and be your refuge. Now see that I, even I am he, and there is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal, nor is there any who can deliver from my hand. For I raise my hand to heaven and say, as I live forever, if I whet my glittering sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to my enemies and repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the heads of the leaders of the enemies. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. So this is, as we will see, the Lord having his day of vengeance, also because it belongs to him. It belongs to him. He is the one to whom it belongs as part of his inheritance to possess his estate. I want to also read where in the New Testament we find this quoted and mentioned as well. It is also spoken of by the author of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29, it says this, Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So we have to understand that much of what we are about to look at in Revelation chapter 6 through 19 is difficult. It's not pleasant, but we have to understand it is right and righteous because God is having his day of vengeance, which belongs to him. Vengeance is his. Think about it like this. How does it grieve us when someone who has proven to have committed a heinous crime or a heinous act, and there is no true justice brought to bear on that? and they are released from prison, 
or they do not get the proper punishment in line with what their crime was, etc. It's an injustice and it grieves us. It is upsetting. The Lord in his grace, mercy, and long-suffering has put up with many, 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 many things, but he will not be silent forever. There will come a day when we will enter the day of the Lord's vengeance, and that is what the author of Revelation, John the Apostle, is telling us about here as it was revealed to him. So these seals being broken will begin to bring in his day of wrath, his day of judgment, his day of vengeance, and his day of true righteous justice for all the evils that have been done. And he will finally deal with all wrongs and make all wrongs right. The necessary steps that he subdue and deal with his enemies. Notice in Psalm 110, verse 1, we've read it many times in these episodes, and it talks about how the Lord has said to my Lord, sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This is the time of that until. It is now going to begin in our study in Revelation. He's going to usher in his righteous rule as king priest on earth. He's going to possess his inheritance, all of the nations and the entirety of the earth. He's going to bring true justice and he's going to establish his reign of peace, his messianic kingdom. Now I've done a series on the messianic kingdom. If you're interested, you can look it up in the archives. It is entitled, Thy Kingdom Come. And it is a multiple lesson series. And so I encourage you to perhaps look that up. We saw in the example in scripture, Joshua and the children of Israel, the promise of God was given to them about the inheritance of the land all the way back in Genesis 15 in the covenant with Abraham. And you could even say all the way back to the dominion that was originally given to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 and 2. And in the conquest for the children of Israel to possess the promised land, it required both dispossessing and possessing. And we will see the same pattern here as we begin to see the rest of the book of Revelation. Jesus is Shiloh, the one to whom it belongs, the rightful owner claiming his inheritance in full. I pray that this has been a blessing to you, and Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes. God bless you today. In Jesus' name, amen.